Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're coming up on the end of 1 Timothy. And what we see this morning is that if you are a man of God, you must pursue the opposite of what you flee. You must pursue the opposite of what you flee. It's not enough to flee wickedness, but you must pursue righteousness. It's not enough to pursue righteousness, but you must flee wickedness. Those two things go together. So last time we were in this book, and several times as we've looked at Timothy, money has come up, and we saw the consequences of loving money. And now we see how to avoid those consequences. Of course, in one sense, it is just that command, don't love money, right? But it's much more than that. It's what you must love instead of money. Let's go ahead now and read from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9-19. through 19. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
So we see that money has been a theme throughout this book. It's, it's funny how he just, you think he's moved on to something else and, and Paul just comes back to money. And it kind of makes you wonder what's going on with Timothy financially, right? Or maybe with the church that he's at financially. Uh, obviously, there are wealthy people in the church, and this is generally been the case that there are churches are made up of both the poor and the rich, that they're made up of all kinds of diverse people, right? But we also have already seen the danger that money poses to us, especially when we have it. And so, here you you return to the theme of money a couple of different times. Um, first, we we reread that warning about those who want to get rich and the destruction that that causes in so many lives. And then he gives this command to Timothy and to us to flee from these things. And so these things, we have to understand what these things are, because if we're talking about what we're going to flee from and what we're going to pursue, we've got to understand what those things are. The things to pursue are laid out explicitly. We're to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness, right? But before that, he says, flee, O man of God, flee from these things. Well, the most immediate context is this talk of the love of money. But it's not the only thing. If we go back a few verses earlier to verses 4 and 5, Paul speaks of the morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction. So really, these, these are the things. The love of money is one of the things, but there's a broader context as well of these things that we are supposed to flee if you are a man of God. Now, he doesn't say if there. He just says to Timothy, oh, you man of God, right? Now, today, when we hear someone talk about a man of God, generally, what does that mean when when you hear that in the culture? Clergy, yes, another great word. Clergy, a man of God. Every once in a while I get this, oh, you're a man of God, aren't you? You know, sometimes they'll call you preacher man or sometimes they'll call you reverend or any number of things, right? Clergy. Um, But that's not what Paul means when he says, you man of God. There in verse 11. 
flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Obviously, Paul is writing to Timothy. Obviously, Timothy is a pastor. Uh, but the, the, the man of God is a biblical theme, right, that, that goes from beginning to end, where you have the contrast in Genesis between the sons of God and the sons of man, right? The sons of God were <clears throat> those who were men of God. And the sons of man were those who had rejected God. And so Noah was a man of God, right? And Abraham was a man of God, and so was Isaac and Jacob. And over and over again we see men of God who are raised up by God to do great things in the book of Judges. But all of us are called to be men of God. Now this, of course, is one of the many places where it can get awkward for us today where we live in an age where nobody understands how generic language works, where we talk about a man of God and there's there's immediately this question in our minds, well, is this talking about women, right? Or is this talking about children, maybe? But I think more often the question is, well, what about women? And even among us Christians who uh, have not become feminists or have not become radical egalitarians, there still today is a question, okay, well then, is there anything unique when it talks to men in the Bible where it says, O man of God, right? And it's a hard thing for us to kind of wrap our minds around because on the one hand, we know that everybody is to pursue righteousness and godliness, men, women, children alike, right? Everyone is to pursue these things. And yet immediately then in verse 12, the next thing that we run into is what? Fight. Fight the good fight of faith. And so then there's... then. Then there's this, okay, well now we're talking even more explicitly. We're not just saying man, and it it could just easily be talking about man and woman, but now we're into this, now we're into this ideal that is masculine, fighting, right? In a way that women aren't necessarily called to be masculine. And so this is why those who are uh, most honest, both among feminists and complementarians or, or patriarchalists or anybody who's, who's most honest, regardless of what their ideology, regardless of what they believe about man and woman, those who are most honest look at the Bible and, and recognize 
and are willing to say, it's written almost everywhere to men. And then there are these there are these sections that are drawn out, and we've hit on several of them in First Timothy, right? That are are very explicit in turning away from that generic. We're we're generally writing to men, and turn and begin to address women very particularly in their unique circumstances, right? So here in our passage, we've got to. This is just one place among many thousands where we've got to be willing to look at the text for what it is and and do the hard work of understanding what this means both for men and for women and to ask the question, is it different? Right? And so, is there a call to women here to flee from these things, you man of God? And, and the answer is yes. You also, women, are to flee from these things. We just need to be willing to, to be explicit and state those things without embarrassment, right? And, and then we need to also be willing to say, and yet, the way that it is written is written to men, and so it needs to be applied to women, rather than simply understood most directly to women, because even though it is generic, and even though it does apply both to men and women, he's writing to men more directly, and he's writing to a particular man in a particular office that he's limited to men, right? And so, this really isn't that hard to understand. When we start with a, with, with a right understanding that, yes, this is generally the way the Bible is written, and so, and so yes, it is, as one uh, feminist said, hopelessly patriarchal, right? But, unlike what that person would believe, that does not mean that there is nothing here for women either to learn or to be called to do. So, having said that, I want to turn from talking about men and women, I want to start to talk to you kids, because there was a children's sermon this morning, right? And we got those five verses, and you remember what the theme of those, he wanted to know what the the main point of those five verses was. And the, the main point was exactly the same point that I'm making in my sermon today, which is to pursue God. Now, this verse says to pursue righteousness and godliness, right? But these are the things that, that he was talking about filling yourself up with. If you have an empty tank, you don't fill it up with water, but you fill it up with gasoline. And so what I want to ask you children is, are you a man of God? Are you a man of God? Because that's who is able to fill themselves up with 
the gasoline as opposed to with the water if you're a car. Of course, none of you are cars. You're not a car, are you? No. But do you want to serve God? Yeah. And so, this really isn't hard to understand, is it? If you kids can understand that when it says, flee from these things, you man of God, it's not just a question of if you are a man of God, but it is a call to be a man of God. It's a command to be a man of God, to grow up into maturity, to grow up into the faith in which you were raised. And that's what Timothy was. He was a young man who had become a pastor, but he had been raised in the faith by his mother and grandmother. He didn't even have a dad who was apparently any kind of man of God who was a role model to him in the faith. But what did he have? He had the teachings that he had been raised in. And so, you children here today, you have the teachings, you have the words of God, you have this call to you, and the call is, flee from these things. And my question to you is, are you a man of God? Are you growing up into the godliness that he calls you to. Who are you? Does this verse address you? And then we we return to what it means when he says these things. Flee from these things. So if I want to, if you want to know, if you say, yeah, I want to be a man of God, how do I do it? The answer that he gives is to flee. And, th- and this is, remember Timothy's a young pastor. This is 1 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, you know what he says? He says almost the same thing. But in 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, Now flee from youthful lusts. And pursue, and he does the same thing again, right? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So there's just these minor little changes. Paul has a theme with Timothy, doesn't he? Paul has a theme with young men, just as we see in the book of Proverbs, a theme with young men to flee from particular sins that young men face. Flee from these things. And one of these things is youthful lusts, and another one of these things is the love of money. Now at some point, As you're growing up, you begin to realize what money is and how money works. Some people realize it younger. Some people realize it older. It helps if you're given an allowance and things like this, I guess. But, you know, 
everybody at some point realizes, hey, if I have money, I can buy the things I want, right? How many of you kids have realized that? And, and, and at that point, we begin right then to face the temptation to give ourselves to the love of money. The love of money. Because why? Well, because we think that it can fill us up. But money is the water instead of the gasoline. It doesn't help you in the end. Some who are wealthy think that their riches are certain. Some, I think it's Warren Buffett who realized not just the how not just what money was, but how money worked at a very young age, and so he began investing, uh, understanding that compound interest was a very powerful thing, and so he began investing investing at a very young age, and now he is incredibly wealthy, right? Now, what is uh, what is his hope in? We don't know. I mean, I'm, my, my point isn't to try to judge him. But you think about how much money, and it's, and it's way beyond $1,000, which is more than many of you children can comprehend. It's way beyond a million dollars, which is way more than I can comprehend. It's way beyond $100 million, which I don't know who can comprehend that. Okay, it's a lot of money. And you know how quickly all of it can go away? It can all be gone. And this is what we have. Uh, we have many examples of this sort of thing happening. And one of the examples we have is in the Bible where Jesus is speaking of the, the rich man who has much money and much food and many barns. And he says, oh, self, what will you do with yourself? What will you do with all of your money? I think you'll take your ease and be at rest and build more barns. And and he's put his hope and his trust in money. And what happens? He says, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And so even if your riches are not ever taken away from you, right? the uncertainty of riches remains. At the end of our passage, we see this instruction to those who are rich in the present world not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So fixing our hope on God is to seek after these things. It's to flee from youthful lusts. It's to flee from the love of money. It's to flee from morbid interests and controversial questions. It's to flee from envy and strife and abusive language. It's to flee from evil suspicions and from constant friction but then instead to pursue something else. 
Because I can warn you and warn you and warn you about the things that you must flee from. But just like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress at the beginning of the book, you remember he's desperate. He has the huge burden on his back. And he wants to get rid of it. That's the thing that he must flee, right? But it's attached to him. And so he can run around in circles in that city, running from one job to the next, running from one project to the next, running from one idea to the next, seeking to get away from that thing or to forget about that thing. And what does it accomplish? Running around in that city doesn't accomplish anything for him. You you cannot flee from that burden unless you flee to Christ. You cannot flee from that burden unless you flee to the cross. You cannot... You cannot get rid of that burden unless you get something else. You must pursue righteousness. Now at this point, I think many of us... are tempted in the church today to say something about legalism, right? I mean, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness, Why doesn't he start with faith? Why does he start with righteousness? I mean, can we really have righteousness without faith? Well, no, you can't. And that's why I say, are you a man of God? Because you will not be able to flee from your youthful lusts. You will not be able to flee from these things, the love of money and and these disputes about words that are empty and meaningless and just about conflict. You won't make any progress in fleeing those things until you are fleeing to God. Unless you are a man of God unless you are seeking righteousness. And see, all of those things really are synonyms. Pursuing righteousness is pursuing Christ. Isn't it? Are we, des- are we trying to be like Christ? Are you a Christian? A little Christ. That's what that, that's where that word comes from. A little Christ. Are you trying to be like Him? Yeah. 
That's why you have his name. And so pursuing righteousness is pursuing Jesus Christ. Pursuing righteousness is being a man of God. Now, righteousness must be defined according to the biblical definition, right? We can't have some sort of legalistic definition of righteousness, some man-made definition of righteousness. Remember that Paul has been adamant about that in this very book to Timothy. He has absolutely refused to allow righteousness to be defined by things like do not taste, do not handle, do not touch, forbidding marriage, and making sure you abstain from certain foods, right? This is not righteousness. Righteousness is pursuing Christ. But when I say pursue righteousness and I say it means pursuing Christ, there's a danger there of us, um, what? Spiritualizing it. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Spiritualizing it. Righteousness works its way out in your actions. Godliness. Righteousness. These things, uh, you can, you can study the words more deeply, but um, you know, they're pretty similar, but they bring out a little bit of different aspects, right? And having, having talked about righteousness in a sort of spiritual sense, I may as well turn around and talk about godliness in a more practical sense. Or I could have done it the reverse order. It doesn't matter that much in terms of the words and their meanings. But what's important is that we realize that righteousness actually does work its way out in our actions. It is something that starts internally and comes out in our obedience. Right? And so, to pursue that is to pursue something that is good. It's to pursue doing good. Now, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing water instead of gasoline in your tank? What is the point What is the point of pursuing money? You understand? You say, well, it's so that I can eat. And I say, yeah, look, I'm I'm all on board with working. Working's good, right? (laughs) But what are you pursuing? And this is where when we, we read, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, all of a sudden you realize, okay, wait. There's a way for me to work, and there's a way for me to eat, and there's a way for me to drink, and there's a way for me to go to bed, and there's a way for me to get up, and there's a way for me to do my schoolwork, and there's a way for me to do all these things that are to the glory of God, which is to say, seeking righteousness. 
seeking godliness, pursuing Him. Now, when he goes on from there, he adds faith, right? God is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God is. He exists. But to say he is is much more than to say he exists, It's to say he is the God. He is the only, the one true God, the great I am. And then you realize that it's like Moses when he's standing before the burning bush and God says, I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent you. And what does he do for his people? Well, they're, they're, they're low on faith, aren't they? About halfway through the plagues. Even before halfway through the plagues, they have their straw taken away from them. And they say, why did you come and make things miserable for us, Moses? They didn't have faith that God was going to fulfill his promise, that he was going to accomplish for them and in them the work that he had begun. And he had begun the work of rescuing them, hadn't he? Begun, and yet it was not complete. And so for us, do you have faith? Will you be like that great man of God, Moses, who kept pursuing the work that God had placed before him to God's glory. Because it sure wasn't to Moses' glory, was it? God is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so as I say, pursue with Paul. Pursue these things while you're fleeing these things. That does not mean separating from the world. It does not mean quitting your job and, and quitting eating and quitting sleeping and quitting doing all of the things that you think, well, I kind of like doing that. And I say, well, that's, that's good. Those are good things. God made them to be pleasant, right? But that cannot be what you are pursuing. Rather, you are to pursue God while doing those things, through those things. Believing that by faith, he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And then what? Love. Love. And how can you not love God when you see by faith that he is bringing the work that he began in you to completion? even though you know that you keep turning around like Lot's wife and looking at the city, the things that you're supposed to be fleeing and you desire them still. And you think, what do I deserve? And I say, have faith. And and don't look back. Look forward 
to what you are pursuing. And you can't help but love God at that point. Because he, you, you realize that it, on your own, you have no strength to reach those goals. On your own, you have no ability to be righteous, to seek godliness. He has to put the path before you so that there's a way to it, and then he has to put you on it, and then he has to cut the burden off. He has to do all of that. And so like, like Christian, we, we yell, life, life, eternal life, that's what I'm pursuing. I desire to be a man of God. And so our devotion is to him. We love him for what he's done for us. And then we persevere, don't we? You think about using Pilgrim's Progress again. You know, that's the, what, the first chapter of the book? And what's the rest of the book about? Persevering. Every single story from there on out is about him persevering in the pursuit of the glorious celestial city. Now next week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll talk more about this fight, the good fight of faith. But there's no avoiding the, the connection between persevering and fighting, right? Heidi and I have been reading, what's it called? The Boys in the Boat. And I actually, it's, a, it's about a, a crew team, a rowing team. And I did rowing for one semester. And I, that's, uh, you could say I persevered for one semester. Um, or you could say I didn't persevere beyond one semester, right? But the description of, the intensity of the work necessary for those freshmen to persevere in the work that they've been given to do is astonishing in that book. And he speaks of the blisters and the, the bloody hands and the absolutely uh, incredibly painful muscles, and every day, they have to, and you know what happens, every day, there's fewer and fewer of those young men that, that come back down to the water. There are very few who have the strength of will to persevere in what? In what they're pursuing. And so he, the, the, the author tells the story of this, this the, the perseverance that is necessary and not just how hard it is, but what they are after. 
the goal that they have, what exactly they are pursuing. For some, it's their only hope of remaining in college. And so, they put their back into it, day in and day out. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't perseverance an astonishing thing? Don't you admire perseverance for those who are seeking after the goal of a a decent education and a job? Don't you admire the perseverance of those who give themselves to the work of dieting and then actually do it? Don't you admire those who persevere in working out? Don't we admire perseverance when people are seeking a goal and and they give themselves to it? And don't we love the stories of those who overcome great odds in in seeking after and getting the goal? And so this is why there's, you know, the, the rags to riches stories, we love them. This is why the, you know, the 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 poor disenfranchised child to the Olympic gold medalist in figure skating is a, is a glorious story. Because why? Well, because you can't do any of those things without truly persevering. And yet all of the examples that we have in our, in our world, in, yes, they, they are lauding and, and glorifying and showing us the beauty of perseverance, okay, But what are they examples of? Pursuing water. Right? They are the things, the very things, that we are not to put our hope in, but that we are to flee. You say, well, I'm not supposed to flee my diet, and I'm not supposed to flee working out, and I'm not supposed to... No, 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 no. You are to flee putting your hope in those things. Because if your hope is in those things, if your trust is in money, and then you persevere in seeking it, it doesn't matter if you persevere like Warren Buffett and if you succeed like Warren Buffett. In the end, riches are uncertain. But not just uncertain, but what? Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction and all sorts of evil. And so the perseverance that you're seeking is the perseverance in this fight of faith. Persevering in loving God and loving one another. And how could we end without gentleness? How could we end without gentleness? And aren't you glad that Paul is gentle here? He is gentle, isn't he? It's gently 
leading you away from what you desire by your nature, by your sinful nature, and and it's leading you to what you desire by the power of the Holy Spirit within you and in a regenerated heart. And he's telling you to pursue gentleness in many, many places. Of course, I could have read many places where each of these, faith and love and perseverance and godliness and righteousness all through the Bible, but gentleness. Gentleness in what? Well, here he's talking to Timothy, and Timothy, he's been telling him to what? Well, among other things, to fight with the false shepherds, right? And he knows that there are many, many sheep that are easily frightened and that are very weak. Sheep, yes. You know sheep, don't you? And we need to be loved. We need to be gently led so much of the time don't we? And then he immediately turns around after the word gentleness is fight. (laughs) And so what does he do? He lays the armor on your shoulders and he carefully ties it And he cinches it good and tight, gently. And then he puts the sword in your hand. And he pushes you out the tent door. And he taps you on your back on the way out. Right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that what we want? If we're going to be sent into a fight, don't we want somebody who's tender sending us out into the fight, gently telling us, now it's time to fight. Now it's time to pursue these things. Run, run away and pursue. Flee these, flee to him. So how are we to pursue these things? Well, God has not left us without means to pursue Him. He has not left us without spiritual food to eat. He has not left us without exercises to do that are good for us spiritually, that will strengthen us for this fight, that will help us to persevere, that will... Help us to grow in gentleness. And how many times have people been gentle with us in our sins, gentle with us in in rebuking us, patient and, and filled with love and faith as they call us 
to seek after God. And yet, then we turn around and the moment somebody is disobedient, we are not gentle, have no patience, don't have faith that there will ever be any fruit in their life, and can't quite bring ourselves to love them. Because why? Well, because we don't want to be hurt, right? But to pursue these things is to pursue them not just for yourself, but with and for others as well. Paul is leading Timothy in this pursuit. And in the next book, he talks about his own fighting the fight, his own running of the race, right? He's gone before us. Others have gone before us. We are going before others. And so we pursue these things first and foremost together, not alone, together. Otherwise, why gentleness? Why love, right? It's because the church is one of the primary means that God has given us to pursue these things, to show us what it looks like, to place them before our eyes. And of course, we've been given prayer and the word, the the discipline that he talks about that is so much more beneficial than any physical discipline that we give ourselves to. But if we want to truly do what Paul, what God is calling us to in this passage, it will only happen if we both see the danger of what we're to flee and hate it and run from it. But not in circles, right? but to the things that we are to pursue. What are you pursuing in your life? You are pursuing something. I have no doubt about that. You are pursuing something. Pursue these things, O man of God. Let's pray.